Last day nice. of school, Sarah, yeah. for your kids? It is. Andrew, yeah. your last day Our, of school? Wednesday, Tuesday, I don't know. It's freedom and not freedom because now it's, I get them ready in the morning and so now I don't have to do that, but then they'll be here all day. So <laughs> there's that. We'll, yeah, our we'll see how homeschoolers are done. Uh, the boys, the girls, nice. their last day is next Thursday. And then they have the day off school on Friday. So I'm having my my breakfast uh, marketing breakfast club meeting on, I think it's May 27th. And then we head to Guatemala. So Ooh, like the next day, right? Aren't you like, yeah, leaving which the weekend? probably no. means, I mean, uh, my off the record viewpoint is that the market's going to get even crazier in June because June is actually when the federal reserve is going to stop buying treasuries. So they've stopped buying mortgage backed securities from the market. They haven't sold any of the 4 trillion that they bought or whatever the number is, but they're going to stop buying treasuries, which is connected to the 10 year rate, which means that housing uh, may get more expensive before it gets less expensive. And I don't think anyone in the government's going to be sad about that because housing from their perspective we got to remove demand from housing if we're going to solve inflation. This is true. It's crazy how quickly we've we've evolved from having zero economic talk, sort of, relative to now. It's like that's just what we talk I know. about all the this time. This podcast used to be all about just advertising and marketing, and now it's by definition. But I think my hunch is it's all going to be serving the audience well because you're going to have to you're going to have to have a better sense of it to make sure that you're not crazy. Like one of the calls today, Andrew, is I spent a lot of time, two, two younger people and spent a lot of time saying, here's how you can do some quick checks to make sure that you're not crazy. Cause you've done all you can good. sales and Needed. leadership is coming at you saying, cause, cause even that thousand page view general metric that we use as a, as a, there will be times in the not too distant future where you will spend a good amount of money on a community and and in that 30 day window, you will still only be able to get to at most 750 views. So it will feel so how different. Do you, how do you make sure you're so not different. crazy? Mm. What's the temperature there, Sarah? Uh, right now, sunny let's Phoenix. see, 93. Ooh. I think we're gonna, we're only getting up to 97 today. Only 97. You could cook some eggs on the pavement. Not yet. Another month or two. Yeah, we're, we're like 86, but it feels miserable and hot and humidity is only like 70. So I guess it could be wetter outside. Could get be could be a hundred. All right, you guys ready to go? Yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Three, two, one. Welcome to Marketproof Marketing, the podcast from the Marketing Minds at DoYouConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you. We're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. All right. Well, there you go. Brand new intro as promised. And that means we can hop right into story time. And Sarah, you want to get us started? Yeah, I took some time yesterday. I had a little bit of spare time. So I figured I would explore um, Google Analytics 4. So I think as we all know now that um, we're going to have to switch over in July of next year. So we have some time, but I like learning new things. So I wanted to jump in and start looking around. Um, Overall, I think I like the interface. It's going to take some getting used to because it's it's different. It is a lot different. But like as I was going... I started liking it more, mm-hmm. but like some of the metrics are really different. I think one that really stuck out to me was they're not really using bounce rate 
on the included reports anymore. They're measuring engagement rate, which is interesting. It's like the opposite of bounce rate. Um, So that looks at like 10 second page views and then two page views or more and then conversion events, which is, I think, a little different than what we're used to. But I like learning new things. I'm excited. I'm excited, too. And I think they didn't have a choice but to abandon bounce rate as a default report because, again, by definition, they're going to be tracking way more things. And so the number would have been irrelevant, like those who currently use universal analytics have Mm -hmm. a bazillion events that they're tracking and their bounce rate on their site is 1% or, you know. Yeah, not too useful. So, but yeah, funny you should say that, Sarah. And that's why we try to make sure everyone has balance in their life. That's not just a voodoo term. Do you convert it? Because we can dive into that. Because I I did the same thing, actually. I had had a flight to Miami for a conference this week. And I did the same thing. I I paid for YouTube premium. I downloaded six videos uh, all about GA4. You were the only and, person this weekend that bought YouTube premium, <laughs> likely. <laughs> I know your name. And um, and I, I I binge watched like three hours of content myself uh, around it. So, I mean, why not? If you find yourself having the time, it's something that you can you can yeah. dive into a little bit more. And it's going to be our lives here soon mm-hmm. anyways. So we exactly. might as well. I, mean, I agree. Some, some, some people just want to wait clean. for Andrew to write the blog post and do the webinar and solve all the answers there for you. There will be webinar. But I'm thinking the webinar we're going to have quite a few people on it. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Well, it's not a public webinar, so it'll be exactly the number of builders who are, shh, I'm going to make everyone jealous. (laughs) I mean, um, (laughs) the hosts on the webinar, people educating, the educators. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I'm excited about GA4 too. I'm not, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. We need progress. Andrew, what do you got? Yeah, um, this one, we actually just started this internal conversation right before the podcast, so I thought it'd be fun to bring it onto here. Just talking around what language do we use when we talk about homes that are soon to be available for purchase, quick moving homes, inventory homes, under construction homes. Well, what if they're like eight months out, but there's nothing there? Is it a spec home? What does that even mean to someone who's not working at a builder? So just open the floor up to that conversation. Do we have a favorite? Let's say home is available to purchase in July. What do we, what do we call that? What should we call it? I don't it? even know. I don't even know. There's so much that, even though we're in this industry, I don't know what you mean by that because, and I think this should go Perfect. away to That's be clear, yeah. even, even before I describe what it is, this should be basically be gone now of, or at least will be probably in the next 30, 45 days. The concept of you can buy this home. That is a pandemic issue right there that, that should not be something that most builders are still hanging on to at all. Meaning if there's a house on your website, but you might have to change some messaging to be clear that you can purchase this. We, we worked on this with one of our larger builders, gosh, five months ago, because they had a good number of inventory that was coming down the pike. And you're like, you, you have to make sure people understand that they can buy this right now without having to negotiate, meaning wait in line or make an extra above offer situation. Just tell them you can secure this home today and make it yours. At that number on the screen. We're not but like available you. to purchase yeah. that language. We need to kill that, in my opinion, right now. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that one. Available, available. What is it? And I, I hate know. the word it's, available. So you're triggering me and all kinds of yeah, things. Yeah, that word is. It's, I'm available because it's like, oh, what are you doing next weekend? Well, I'm available. That's not a yes or no. It's like depends on what you say. I always depends go back to answer. if I walk into a store and I'm looking for a particular pair of jeans and I say, "Do you have any of these available?" I do not mean right in front of me. I mean 
in this, in any way today, can you get these jeans for me? Yes. I mean, in the back room, I mean, can you have it shipped from another store? I'm not asking you, can I, so, so that, that word is too broad and too vague. And that's why I hate it on a builder's site. Yeah. The interpretation uh, is up to the individual. Should we use, what should we use? Should it be around closing the word closing? That feels very financial and cold, but that's accurate. Ready to close. Let's say it's a to be built or it's under construction, a home under construction. Do you available to cl- available to, I'm trying to figure out the ready you to want close. It, do you, are you excited to close when you're shopping? No, no one's excited to close. <laughs> that's what I mean. But it's, it's, that's, it's accurate. That's where right? I give you all my money for the next 30 years. That's it's not... super accurate, but it's depressing. It's a, it's awful word. I don't know what the, what is my favorite? I don't, I don't know if I have a favorite. I sometimes the, the simplest ready answer buying? can be the best one. And I would say, Quick move in as a broad definition is still one that I prefer because even if that home has only gone through permitting, in some instances, that might mean that that home is four months closer to being able to be occupied than one that hasn't gone through permitting. Now, I think the secondary thing you have to have a filter on that's easy to use and clear for the consumer to understand ideally would be a time range filter. So I want to see homes that are quick move in within the next three months, four months, one month, whatever. To me, quick move in is not a, um, it's not a bait and switch. It, it is, it is not promising moving in tomorrow. So that would be, no. I think the one variation, if you, if you do have a lot of inventory, you could have immediate move in like immediate, or, like purchase now, um, like now. Yeah. But I think yeah. again, immediate's good. Time frame is something that's shifting. I think I talked about this last time we recorded an episode was for a long time, availability of a home mattered more than price. And now that has shifted back into pricing being first, then availability in terms of how fast can I move in, potentially being a, a second on the list of importance things. And so again, this is not where we've been and, and really even isn't where we are, but what we're likely going to very quickly is return to not wanting to overhype your inventory because one of the benefits of buying new is being able to get what you want. And Again, this is assuming that supply chain over time gets better, labor gets better, and we can return to some normalcy and how this this whole thing runs. People who have time constraints are more likely to continue to search for those homes that fit within those time constraints, meaning you don't have to start by saying, here's all my inventory. Look at this right here, all my inventory. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if there is a time constraint, they're going to search for homes that fit that. You just have to make it easier for them to do that search. True. Fun. But I, I, I wouldn't overcomplicate it, meaning you don't need three different definitions for three different kinds of homes. That Those are all complexities yeah. that needed to be added in due to the pandemic and the situation of having wait lists of 100 people for one house. And so we can, we can revert back. And that goes back to a general theme of undoing all the things on your checklist that you did to slow down lead volume. Now you got to go back and figure out what you need to undo. Yeah, try to remember those if you did not write I them I told down. you all three years ago to write them down. I told you. <laughs> Look in your sent email to your web developers. Hey, we need to do this to the site. Go through those from 2020. Yeah. That might, might find your list. I mean, just super basic. But if lead volume and being able to interact with those leads as well as possible was a challenge and you turned off chat on your website and now you don't have enough leads uh, to hit your minimum goal of leads per month, then guess what you should do? Turn on chat on your website. 
On which pages, Kevin, should I turn chat on? To the level that you need to drive the number of leads that you have as set for yourself as a minimum goal. The answer might just be inventory homepages, community pages. It might be on the homepage, even though we generally don't like that. It might be. True. Perfect. All right. So about an hour ago, our very own Jesse Suggs sent over a Loom video with a title of Awkward. <laughs> and it was a screen recording <laughs> of two different home builders uh, with videos that had ex explanation videos about what their online salesperson did, who they were, how they could help. And it was, from a script standpoint, word for word, exactly the same. Are they sister companies no, by chance? They are not, okay. they are not sister companies. They are not connected in any way. They're not Shoot. even as far as I'm aware in any type of a builder group among them. But are they in the same market? Because that no. makes it even more awkward. Okay. That, no, but I think that would make it the most awkward possible. Mm -hmm. However, what strikes me as just terrible about this whole thing is when two companies have the exact same verbiage, and I mean exact word for word. Uh, different person speaking, different tone of voice. And the edit even feels a little bit different, but word for word, exactly the same. That just to me is awful. And it's maybe I'm being overly thoughtful about all this, but here, here goes nothing. That is, that is by definition what we call copy paste behavior. You know, my kids are in school and I hear stories all the time uh, from them of they're in study hall or getting ready for the next class. And someone comes up to them and is like, Hey, can I see your homework? And my daughter who works hard for her grades is like, no, get away from me. You smelly boy, like get, get away. But I feel like that behavior overall has become more commonplace and acceptable. And I don't just mean in school setting. I mean, in a professional setting of, Hey, uh, and, we, and we see this all the time and I'm not calling any one person out because it's more of a story about this particular video that, that Jesse found, but we see it happen all the time on forums and discussion groups online of, can someone please share your process verbatim for this to this thanks in advance heart emoji. And, and that is not helpful long-term it's helpful in the sense of holy crap, I didn't do my homework and I'm going to class in 20 minutes and I need to get it done or I'm going to, it's helpful in that kind of immediate urgency standpoint. And it's not helpful in terms of then when the final exam comes around and you just copied and or crammed and now you're, you get a D or an F on the exam because you didn't really mm -hmm. learn a darn thing. And I'm telling, I'm telling everyone right now, I feel, and I'm, I have not drank coffee before this episode because I know last time I got a little bit crazy. The final exam is coming at some point over the next year and a half to two years. And if overall you have done this copy paste behavior, and again, for, for those who might be uh, pessimistically or thinking like, wow, this is self-serving Kevin, because doesn't your company teach people how to do this stuff? Yes, we do. We also put most of it on the web for free because that's not the point. Like you can go buy Mike's book. It's been around for eight years and get a whole yeah. bunch of scripts and a whole bunch of processes and iterate off that relatively simply. That's not what I'm talking about. And I got a chance to see Elon Musk speak at the conference that I was at, and it spurred a remembrance of me of this particular quote from him, which is that when he interviews someone, he asks this particular question, he says every single time, which is, tell me about some of the most difficult problems you've worked on and how you solved them. 
And the reason that he wants to know that is because, and this is a direct quote, the people who really solved the problem know exactly how they solved it. They know and can describe the little details. And that true. just, I love that because it is true. And then and the article even goes on to talk to psychologists and other experts kind of confirming that, that viewpoint. But there's something very different between, you know, oh, how did you get this process to work so well? And the answer being, well, I spent some time researching and I, and I implemented some best practices and that being the more or less the answer, or I paid company X to do it for me. I found the best people and I did it versus someone who went in the CRM system, made those adjustments, knows how to make an email, knows how to do all these little things. And it's been easy over the, over quite a long time to copy paste and be perceived as knowing how to do the actual math other than just get the answer. Yeah. That's like, show your work. Mm -hmm. How did you get there? But I'm and telling you, for the answer, mm. this market shift is going to make it really clear who's been solving problems and who's just been using a copy paste approach. And GA4 is another good example. Like, again, we're yeah. going to provide all kinds of resources. The team at O'Neill Interactive providing all kinds of resources, solving the problem for their own builders. All those things are great. But that's why we don't we don't plan this stuff. But that's why I loved where you started, Sarah, is like you have. There's nothing in the do you convert organization that that told you to go do what you did. Nothing. And you're not even responsible for GA4 implementation for any of your builders or anything like in the near, like that's not, that's not the world you're, you've been del delivered, but you inherently understand that you actually have to, and, and Andrew, you talked about this a couple of weeks ago with the website and, and Shopify and all that. And like, oh, this isn't working. But guess, yeah. guess what? Now, you know exactly how to solve those problems you overcame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to do it. That's the fun part. I feel like that is, that's what I like about all this marketing category is troubleshooting, the struggle, the annoyance, all those different feelings you go through and trying to figure something out. And then you figure it out and you're like, oh, this is great. Like, I agree. That's I feel the satisfied. best feeling. Yeah. And if you don't enjoy that process, then it's like, I don't, maybe you shouldn't mean, that sounds really mean, but maybe that's, if you don't enjoy that, like your career and the progress you'll make in marketing, I think will be quite limited just because you'll be every day, you'll be like, hmm, I don't know if it's for me. I don't know if it's for me. Because that's the that's how everyone gets better at it, is going through those struggles. Yeah. And again, that just I, I wish that more companies, home builders, agencies, uh, vendors, everyone, I just wish more people would do actual work and create actual new ideas and thoughts and processes versus just doing the it would help all of us tremendously. So Okay. All right. Now, a quick word from our supporting partner, Opendoor. Opendoor partners with home builders across the country in over 2,000 sales offices and has helped generate more than 2 billion. Wait, wait, wait. Did we say 2 billion? What, what newsflash we are currently meant to say is that we just got an update and that number is 4 billion. Billion with a B in new construction home sales. That's incredibly impressive. And remember, as a builder sales associate, you can provide a flexible close date to help customers avoid double moves and mortgages by closing any time from 14 days to nine months and offer a complimentary two-day late checkout from their current home to help alleviate the stress of moving. Go to opendoor.com forward slash do you convert to learn more about how you can partner with Opendoor. Also, extended story time. Sorry, it's supposed to be transition news, but yeah, that's okay. this conference that I was at was not home building related. Lots of really smart people there. And someone uh, there was, I believe, she's an investor. She spends hundreds of millions of dollars investing in different organizations. Randomly sit down with her at lunch 
And she talks about how great Carvana is as an investment to which I cocked my head sideways. And because Carvana is a deeply unprofitable organization with severe mm -hmm. flaws in how they function. I did a whole Twitter thread on that a couple weeks ago. You can go find, but they had a hard time even raising debt in the last round. The owners have lost like $15 billion and headlines of articles saying, we're not sure how, but in the best time for used cars ever, Carvana is managed to fail at this whole process. And really at its core is because Carvana doesn't make money selling homes. It makes money generating loans for the cars that they sell and then selling those loans to another company that they also own that overpays them for those loans. It's a terrible business. Terrible. That sounds The vending awful. machines are awesome. Their website user interface is awesome. That part's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about how the business functions is, is terrible. And that is why when someone uses a company like that as a symbol of innovation, and then gets frustrated that their owner won't do innovation like that, guess what your home builder doesn't want to do for the next two years? Lose billions of dollars being highly unprofitable. That yeah, is not, that's fair. That's not the transition path they're looking for. So we have to be careful about those examples. But I mentioned about how much a fan I am of Open Door, not because of the, the partnership, but just I think the what they're doing is, is really smart. And she was like, I mean, if the housing market turns, they're going to, they're just going to be in big trouble, aren't they? And I was like, no. And then I don't, this is nothing from Open Door. Open Door has not told me anything to this effect. But think about if, if they're getting tens of thousands of people asking what they would pay for their home today. Um, and right now it's a hard, it's a hard thing to get a consumer to want to sell their home as agents and realtors know, guess what's <laughs> not going to be hard to do. And when prices are, are in theory declining which nationally is not going to be the same issue as a great, but, but just, let's just say that a bunch of people decide they want to sell their house. Now, if I'm open door, I can make more competitive offers that are helpful to me. Yeah. They've got a fee built in there. Uh, housing prices don't over change overnight. Like it took the great financial crisis hit, I think in Q4 of 2007, we talked about this earlier today at our company meeting. And it wasn't until two, late 2009, 2010 that housing bottomed. So like the world was ending, yeah. banks were closing, and it still took two and a half, three years for housing to bottom. That's not a quick moving market. So open door on, on average, the homes that they're purchasing, they're, they're keeping like 60, 70 days and turning. It's pretty short. So if you think two and a half to three years to go down eight to 10% uh, in price nationally when, when, when the great financial crisis hit, that means, I mean, what's 36 months? Uh, so 10 divided by 36, like the amount of change month over month, it's not like open door is going to get stuck. Anyway, it's, it's a great business and it's a great business because they don't need money from builders. They're not looking for anything from you. They're just looking to get an opportunity to help your customer sell their home with a flexible close date and, and more benefits beyond that. So I think by the end of it, <laughs> at first she was really mad at me because I think I was calling her, her baby ugly in Carvana. And then as we were walking back to the event, she just wouldn't stop asking questions about open door and real estate. She's like, okay, I think I understand. I was like, look, at the end of the day, yeah. mortgage of a house is an appreciating asset. Like homes over time come back. The number of cars that go into the classic category and gain value over time, totally different story. So would, would you yeah. rather at the end of the day hold mortgages on homes or mortgages on used cars? Or, or loans on used yeah. cars. It's home home sounds right. better. Yeah, and they could always pull, like if there's certain markets, let's say where I'm at, Tampa Bay, is sort of like, ooh, open doors like that's getting volatile. I'm not, they're not comfortable. Yeah. They just 
they tighten up the requirements on homes that they actually will purchase, which might be like, we want homes that fit the starter home category because those will likely always sell compared to a home that's 800K. Yeah. And then they just adjust. I think they could adjust very quickly and what they're doing with that with their with their algorithm or they just offer less. So then they're buying to have better margins. When yeah, but, resell. but it, it, it's less with a convenience that will, I think the convenience yes. part of what they offer, the convenience part won't change for someone looking to get into a new home because of that flexibility of when you close and when you move out. But if you're just selling an existing home with either no desire to get into another existing home or, or, or you are in a market that's tougher for sellers, the convenience factor of being able to get an offer like that and be done with the whole process, I think that value proposition only increases in a more challenging market. I don't think it decreases. Like if, you, if you know you can sell your house in three days with a realtor anyway, like just go okay. get get this offer mm-hmm. from Open Door, and then you're like, today's Thursday, have one, have an offer by Monday or maybe yeah. Friday. I'm Whereas sure you meet an agent and they're like, well, days on the market average right now in your city is 65 days, and Open Door makes you an offer for Thursday. Yeah. By the time the the realtor will pick up the phone, you might have the offer from open door. That's the great realtors, Sean Carpenter, you'll pick up their phone. The other ones, hmm, we'll find out. That's right. First up from Zellman and Associates, they just put out this article. And I think, you know, when Ivy was on the podcast late last year, one thing she talked about was the demographic patterns and how she felt like over the next several years, we were going to get into a position where we'd have oversupply of homes. And the narrative keeps coming around that we we are still way behind on the number of homes we have. And so they put out this new article titled Fighting Over a Melting Ice Cube, dated Friday, April 29th by Dennis McGill. And in it, there's this amazing chart that I think clarifies because they say, look, we're somewhat conceding. If you're talking about markets that have a lot of people moving into them, like Austin, Charlotte, Dallas, Jacksonville, Vegas, Nashville, Orlando, Phoenix, Raleigh, and San Antonio... We totally understand why you would read our research and say, Mm-mm, nope, not relevant because look what's happening in our market. And so what they did is they took and they said, okay, let's look at those markets as a special case. And they broke down um, the total number, the change in population. So looking, um, let's just look at 2021 as an example. And it's looking at all those markets I just mentioned. So those kind of, I'm going to call them bubble markets, don't take offense if you're in one of them. Just the markets that have had extreme appreciation and a large number of additional people moving in. And in 2021, in those markets, 0.9% of the population died. Okay, so th- those folks are gone. RIP. The total increase in population in those markets was 1.3%, 1.38. Okay, so we have a net positive number of people in those markets. But why do we have that net positive is really important. And they break that down by showing the difference in births in those markets was only 1.14%. So now we're like 0.15 to the good or 0.25 to the good. Uh, the, the main thing that tips the scales is domestic migration, which is another 1.07%. And without that additional migration from other places in the United States, those markets would essentially be flat in 2021 in terms of population because 0.9% of the population died and 1.14% of the population was born. Essentially flat. And those are, those are markets that, again, we're talking about Austin, Vegas, Nashville, Phoenix, Raleigh. These are markets that have huge, you know, rel- what we feel like is huge increases in population when we read about them or if you're in those markets, you feel that. 
but it's really razor thin in terms of uh, people and where those people are coming from. So the other way to look at it is if you're in Des Moines, Iowa, and you don't have 1% increase in population because everyone wants to move to your town, you're not feeling anywhere of the same effects. And so I think it's just relevant to keep that in mind because we're going to continue to see a dislocation of experiences of builders by market. And there's lots of factors to that, but how many people are moving to your city currently and in the future is going to have a big impact because the number of people being born in the United States is not overall a strong trend for builders. It's declining. Yeah, that was Ivy's intention. Her point was in 10, 15, 20, 25 years, the makeup of, we'll see yeah. the effect of that birth rate decreasing. Yeah, and, and potentially even in the next five to, t- yeah, five to 10 years five to um, ten. Okay. or so. And that's also oh, why true. Elon Musk is building all these robots. He's like, look, we don't, we're not gonna have enough people. In fact, China's biggest problem, as much as China is growing, is that their population... I'm going to make up these numbers, but the idea is is correct. You know, they're going to have uh, 2 billion people uh, in China, mm-hmm. but in the next um, 15 years or 20 years, because birth rates drop as people get more economically stable, education rates grow, income levels grow, standard of living grows, all those things means less kids. And so the projection is actually that China will be down to like 750 million uh, people because the young people today don't want to have kids in the same way that they used to it's because really interesting. Yep. So we got a population problem long-term for housing uh, and hopefully yeah. immigration can, can help some of that. All right. Next have up babies. from deconvert.com. How important is your website structure by our very own Sarah Simmerman? Sarah, what's uh, it's beautiful. What's this amazing article with pictures and graphs uh, about? Yeah. I, I just kind of go through and talk about basically the, I guess, ideal website structure for builders. And it's not really, I guess, as much about the navigation that you see, but I really want to, I guess, talk about the URL structure too, Mm -hmm. because that's kind of overlooked uh, really often. It's really important to have that be consistent where you have your builder website, your locations, then your communities, then your plans, and it's all organized the same way across your website. And then I just kind of go into a little bit on how it can impact um, user experience, SEO, advertising, and even content. So it's just one thing that URL structure especially is overlooked a lot, whereas the navigation, I think a lot of builders are doing a really great job now. Finally, yeah. I mean, if you're a regular listener of the program or or have been around to convert for any of the last six years, you know how important this has always been to us. But I, I think it's great, Sarah, that you put together this. If you're... If you're someone listening who's like, I'm not sure what they're talking about, or um, you have a sense that no one's really been super thoughtful about the structure of your site, especially from a URL standpoint, uh, go check out the article because like you just laid out, it it impacts so many things in in terms of simplicity of being able to get good reporting and and improvements on SEO and making sure you've got the right place to send um, people who interact with your advertising to, to hit the site. It really is way more important than, and again, I think it's it's gotten vastly better over the last, I would say, four years. It definitely has. For sure. I think the impact on reporting is once you're creating data studio reports and you have more mm-hmm. complex needs, having a standardized URL structure that's nice and organized, like Sarah put in the, in the blog post, like that is 
Oh my goodness. That's a, yeah, that's a lifesaver. And as an example, we, we do a lot of reporting uh, for all of our partners. One partner in particular, we go crazy on reports and they pay for that privilege. So, but they, they have a lot of reports and the incremental cost for them to get that support from us because of their URL structure was infant, you know, infinitesimal. Is that a word? Sounds, sounds brilliant. Sounds like so a word. I say so. It was really, really small, <laughs> like insignificant to their budget line item. And I've had other companies of almost similar size ask the same question. And based upon their URL structure, I've had to tell them and explain to them, well, here's all the extra hours and steps and tools that will have to be used because your structure is terrible. And it becomes a, a, a legit real number real fast. Um, yeah. And mm -hmm. so we're talking about, I guess you could also put in here, you can update the articles there, impact on your budget. Like it, it actually can have an actual um, a dent to to spend that, that you have for other yeah. things because if you've got to do great reporting, you're probably going to have to overwork to get that when it could just be really, really straightforward. Mm -hmm. Yep. Awesome. Check that Definitely. link out in the show notes. Next up from searchenginejournal.com, Google Ads launches new Performance Max features. Ooh. As the migration to Performance Max campaigns begin, Google announces new features available for this campaign type. So first, before we talk about the new features, Andrew, Performance Max, is it what just is another... It? snazzy sounding name what, what, it, what are we talking about it might be i mean it sounds really snazzy and the cool kids call it a pmax campaign which <laughs> i'd realized saying that out loud okay doesn't really sound appealing whatsoever <laughs> but yeah pmax so a performance max campaign here's the definition of it is an automated goal-based campaign type that uses machine learning to serve audiences a relevant ad with an optimal bid to maximize campaign performance um, and it's going to use a mix of automation and machine learning to help advertisers execute their specific so conversion goals. So this is goals. Tesla Autopilot for Google Tesla Ads. Autopilot. It essentially is like the comparable for Facebook of a conversion campaign on all placements and all ad types merged together in this one massive thing. Like when you build one of these out, you're essentially, you have a search, you have search ads and you have responsive ads and you have display ads, responsive display ads all mixed together. So it's following people around. Like if you have a Google account, I think we all know this. We just don't think about it too often. But like, so I'm logged into my Android Deconvert Google account and they're tracking me on Zillow. If I go on a mortgage site, like all these sorts of things are following me all over the place. They know a lot about me. So they should, in theory, be able to tell, oh, Andrew's looking in this zip code, the, that builder is in that zip code, that city name. They could use machine learning to figure out where we are. And the more money that's in that vertical, the more that they'll specialize the machine learning or AI to focus on like, okay, here's how we best run real estate ads. Here's how we best run e-commerce or lead gen for XYZ industries. So do they work? Do they not work? We will find out. We're currently testing those. So I'm not really sure if they're worth their effort because if we think about Google, what we love about Google is we have the intent of the keyword and this bypasses that you don't add keywords. Like what in the world? That's crazy. Yeah. But do we need to add keywords? I mean, the keywords are on the website uh, or they should be Andrew, on the website. <laughs> this is blasphemy. <laughs> this is a uh, sin. If, if we're going off of the recommendations made by Google marketing experts or Google ads interface itself yes. in the notifications bar, then then I am terrified. 
I'm terrified. So keep, keep that test to a to a minimal. <laughs> this is a minimal test. Well, please. what's fun is this test. They're like we recommend a minimum of four weeks. Excuse oh, me. Oh gosh, even like red flags okay. all over the place. This, what are we talking? This whole thing about? is red flags. It's perform. Yeah, it is. It's really interesting, but it's so we have we we have to test these things, right? I think <sighs> we do. Yeah, we know we but do. It should be very minimal. It shouldn't be like hey. These communities are not working. Let's put all our eggs in this basket. No, 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 no. Like do what is proven, do what works. And if you have like two, 5% of your budget, you could test things on. Great. Okay. Test it there. Let it run. It fails. It works great. Or maybe it's just going to remain like, Hey, we get some leads from that. It does work. And it remains at $5 per day, $10 per day, some low budget or it is minimal. Yeah. And one thing about any types of tests like this that needs to happen is be careful when someone, and I'm even talking to our own builders when I say this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, And and I love the skepticism that we build into everyone that we work with. Um, I think, I think that's really important. Actually, I'm very skeptical, skeptical of this. I mean, I'm, I like testing all these things, but I'm everything that Google comes out with, that's a smart campaign. But Andrew, how like, easy would it be? And we don't have to name any names about the thing being tested or the builders we're talking about, but how easy would it be to go to some form of advertising change that we could then tell other builders, we had an amazing success with X, Y, and Z with this, with this builder. And so you should do all of those things now, please. Oh, talk talk to me easy. about how the skeptical mind should be asking questions about that. You like, should question every single thing that said, every, <laughs> right? Like, okay, so that worked for them, but like, do I would go to the list of like, how is their product different? Do they have more homes available? All that, those sorts of the business things. Why would they have yeah, success? Yeah, you, you even it? have to go back to how is the lead defined? How is it tracked? Yes, how's it um, lead? Do mm-hmm. appointments for that builder only count when scheduled for a specific time and place? Or, you know, because th- there are still builders out there who say if they've ever talked to an online salesperson and then they go out and have an appointment, that online sales program gets credit for that appointment versus a scheduled appointment. Mm-hmm. So you, you have to make gotcha. sure all these things are al- even by def- like, what is a goal conversion? Because you could say a goal conversion went up by 15%. If that builder has map clicks as a goal conversion, it's irrelevant. So you, you either yeah. need to ask to see as much detail as they can uh, give you. You need to ask questions defining um, who, who the, who the builder is, like you're talking about the, the scenarios we're talking about. It's okay to ask all those things. If you ever did that on a call with us, our, our body language is not going to change. Our voice is not going to crack. Ask it. <laughs> we're going to say, yeah. Yeah, ask them all. let's go, go ahead. Let's talk through these things. Cause they are yeah. very, very important. And I, I think there's, so I'm very skeptical. I don't believe anything for the most part, maybe some things, some things get me over, but I'd say sometimes it's okay to keep, if you're like me and you're very skeptical, it can be perceived as like negative or like anti wanting to try, test things out and stubborn might be the thing. Mm. And to me, I think that was like, we're getting personal. I think that was a flaw for a while when I was younger. I'm still young, I'm turning 33 in a couple of days. So that's exciting. But when I was much younger in my career, I was, I was like, we can't do that. But I was just too, too vocal with my skepticism, which is not a positive attribute, but we need, but the skepticism is positive. You just have to kind of like hide it a little bit, sort of, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I, I think, I think it makes complete sense. And also right. challenging ideas is never, should never be a problem. Like anytime oh, no. I've ever no. said anything. Uh, about anything or anyone it's not it's not personal about any individuals at all the question is um is it working how how do we define working um 
who, 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 where is the, where the incentives lie? Are the incentives yeah. aligned, not aligned? Are the motives? Um, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's what it's all about. It's not about, you know, an individual at all, because at the end of the day, I don't like anyone. That's a joke. I mean, that's I'm an introvert, fair. so it's, <laughs> that's fair. People, I mean, <laughs> people are people and fair to everybody, and that's, it's okay to disagree. In fact, the most successful organizations have good disagreements around processes, really disagreements on everything except for people. It's just disagreements yeah. about the facts, about the insight, about the idea that's being challenged, not the individual. Yeah, but it's, that's it's where hard the dis- to confuse. I mean, it's easy to confuse those things. Yeah, I was going to say, that's where the disagreement and stress should be. I had a, I had a call earlier with a, um, a builder resource work with. It was a great call. And we talked about that. Like, all the stress should be on not the people in communication and relationship, but the stress us marketers should face is talking about the ads, the strategies, all those things, not like how we're talking about them, but just the actual facts. And if you get past the first part, then yeah, it's, it's great and a lot of fun to go through the stress because it's, we're fixing problems. We're fixing problems. Well, something that shouldn't be any disagreement on is Ooh. this is a wow to me from uh, zillow.mediaroom.com. Zillow 3D home tours now are automatically being shared to Redfin. So um, there's lots of wows here. One, Redfin was, the, I think, the first large um, website. I guess you could use the word portal, but they're, they're more than a portal. Um, the first to integrate Matterport as like a standard thing with all of, the, all of their homes. And so 3D tours have always been a big part of what Redfin does. Zillow has their own technology, um, Zillow 3D home tours. And that allows a consumer or an agent to use uh, another device that's not a Matterport camera and achieve Matterport like results. And so the wow here is that these are competitive organizations, generally speaking, and here they are teaming up. And so it's, it's both what they're doing and how they're teaming up, allowing Zillow 3d home tours to be automatically shared over to Redfin, but also just the fact that they are working more closely together. Um, both, both those things are, are surprising, but also positive, I think for the customer, in terms of those looking at content on Redfin now being able to get access to additional Zillow 3D tours. So, yeah, I, I don't see a negative here. Uh, I think those who are skeptical of Zillow, which I'm not, I mean, that's just kind of an eight. You either, I, I don't, I it's can't everybody. get it. I, 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 met, I met a broker at the conference I went to from Minneapolis and he's like, oh, a bunch of people in my world, you know, hate Zillow, but I pay him a little bit of money and I make a lot more money. Like it's pretty simple. Yeah, it's I, a I good make, attitude. I make my life better. That's how it works. Um, he'd been a premier agent for, for many, many years and plans to continue for many years. Um, so I think there's some people who could see this as a negative of, oh gosh, is this uh, Zillow technology that's becoming like a new standard? Does it replace Matterport? Does that give Zillow some type of other advantage? But from Redfern's perspective, they're saying, we just want more content. Um, yeah. Zillow Redfin. Yeah. Merge, merge them together. Who knows? And uh, at a conference called T3, which is, I, I think, like a general real estate, I, I've never been, you have to, it's invite only. And, and most people there are, um, again, from the general real estate side. Rich Barton did say that um, there is a potential. He saw the potential for having a, an iBuyer-like offering as part of Zillow's super app. So uh, if you're familiar with WeChat, which is like the super app from China that you, you use that app for everything in China. It unlocks doors. It, you 
you it's how you meet new people and exchange contact information it's how you order things it's it's everything zillow's trying to make a super app for real estate is the word they're using and so as part of that uh, i don't know if it was a question or if rich just volunteered this information but he said that there is the potential for the 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 continuation albeit with a partner um of someone offering to buy your home probably not at the zestimate <laughs> um like zillow offers Likely was not. doing but some other other organizations. So this is this seems to be a, a pivot from Zillow trying to uniquely own everything uh, and, and less partnership with uh, competing organizations to trying to be more open as well. Um, although I, I have a feeling they this wasn't Zillow saying, "Hey, Redfin, you please take our 3D home tours." I think it was most likely the other way around. Redfin saying, "We want the best content for our site, and we'd love to find out." Why. So, yeah. Anyway. Interesting. We'll see. Let's see how it evolves. And uh, up next, redfin.com. Hey, there you go. (laughs) Home buyer competition falls for second straight month, hitting lowest level in over a year. Published May 18th. 61% of home offers faced bidding wars in April, down from 63% a month earlier and 67% a year earlier as surging mortgage rates prompted buyers to drop out. So this kind of goes back to the narrative of things are getting slower. Uh, less competitive, but we're talking about going from 67% of homes being in a bidding war to now only 61%. Yeah. And there was a few markets that continued to increase, which is fun. One being where I'm located in Tampa. So Tampa, uh-huh. Chicago, Sacramento. Yeah. Great. But it's still, yeah, it's, it's, it's a decrease, but it's not, did they, I don't think that I saw where they, if they broke down different price points, um, I just had a friend, they sold their home, they listed it. It was a, it's a starter home, like first home, 1600 feet, three bedroom, two bath, listed at 425. They had 11, they listed it Friday. They had 11 offers by Sunday at noon. I'm like, oh, okay. And that that's Tampa area. Of course, that's just one, but that's, there's not many of those homes whatsoever where I'm at. So it's definitely market to market still. Yep. Sarah, that's anything hit you from this one? Yeah, I mean, it's just amazing how little of a decrease it has been. Like, if you look at the beginning of the chart, you can see where we were, and it's still it's it's still high. It's just not as high as it was. A month yeah, ago. A- a- April of two thousand twenty, it looks like we were around 34 percent yeah. had uh, bidding warrants going on. Isn't that crazy? Exactly. Like right Doubled. after the pandemic started, or everything shut down. Yeah, it was. And, still, I, and I think it mentioned yeah, it's like an average of three offers compared to ten offers um, now nationwide, which is three offers. I mean, if you're if you're a seller, three offers is yeah, that's two, two more than necessary. <laughs> exactly. <as> <laughs> I, I remember when we bought our first home. This was 2014. There was no competing offers. It was just us. <laughs> so it's like we just went back and forth. <laughs> yeah. Like this is strange. Is thought, this normal? No idea. I also thought it's interesting that townhomes are the most competitive property type. Uh, that is. I th- well, I, th- I knew, I'm saying that especially because I know Andrew has a special place in his heart for townhomes. Oh, I it's don't his like favorite townhomes. product type. He he wishes he could work with more builders that only did multifamily. I think that was my first like <laughs> lesson. Let's see. I started with DYC. Was it 20, 2015, 2016-ish? I'm like, Kevin, it seems like a lot of these struggling communities are townhomes. Like, yeah. what's up with that? And then like years later, I'm like, is this a townhome community we're talking about? <laughs> like as far as is it struggling? Pretty much I was like almost always is they always yeah, have their, but now, their trouble I, mostly because of availability and affordability um affordability probably being the biggest thing 
it still yeah. is the most competitive property type uh, in the country. So since we're talking about some stats, I'll throw out some other ones that um, if you're one of our builders, you've, you've, you heard this maybe a week and a half earlier than you're hearing it on the podcast, but I think it's very interesting that um, year over year, so 21 versus 2022, year to year to date, or sorry, just just in May, just looking at May, so May 2022 versus May 2021, organic traffic down 25%, almost exactly on average, looking at the aggregate data set, website okay. activity only down 5 to 10%. So overall website activity only down five to 10% for the builders who participate in our study. Um, organically though, 25%. That means that non-organic things are, are doing their more than their fair share to, to contribute to website activity. Um, so, so that's compared to 21. The conversion difference was also, I think uh, 15 to 25% lower in conversions year over year, but and that sounds bad. Again, that's that varies tremendously based upon builder location and how many homes you have available, et cetera. But that's all compared to 2021, which was, I think, will go down as the um, best year for new home sales in terms of supply, demand, uh, gross margin at time of contract, all, a whole bunch of different metrics. It'll probably be a high watermark, it, it seems like, for now, for quite a while. So I went back and looked at some stuff based upon 2019. And um, so 2019 year to date, or 2022 year to date, so January through May 17th, compared to 2019, uh, users are up 31%, conversions are up 27%, and sessions are up 32%. So all those things still up significantly from 2019. When you take into account all January through May 17th. Now, if you just look at a 30 day period, roughly April 17th to May 17th. This is shocking uh, to me. And I think it, it explains why builders are feeling what they're feeling. Um, if I compare just that 30 day period compared to the same period in 2019, users are up 15% and sessions are up 21%, but conversions are only up 1.6% for the last 30 day period. So for the whole um, year to date period, conversions are up 27. If I just look at the last 30 day period, it's only 1.6. So basically flat. And again, by market, uh, by builder, this will be a different experience, but there are roughly uh, 817,000 homes under construction that are single family right now. Okay. 817,000. Sorry, that's that's a better way to say it, I think. And a rough estimate, we don't know for sure, but roughly 30% of those have not been sold. Uh, they're not available for sale, to go back to what we talked about earlier. Yeah. <laughs> like builders are choosing not to allow them to be purchased yet for one reason or another. So when you start lining this stuff up, it's gonna, it is going to be interesting because the number of homes uh, currently under construction that will be or are available for sale uh, is going to be significantly higher than it was in the same time period in 2019. But the increase in conversions just in this 30-day window is only 1.6. And I think um, that's likely to continue to, to be a trend that continues, not as sharply as a drop, obviously, as we, as we saw over the last 45, 60 days, but um, conversions likely not to surge. However, still, all that being said, flat with 2019. 
that so, what do you, so I'm trying to think what people might be thinking right now and think of questions hmm. related to that. So do we take 2020, 2021, part of 2022 and like, as far as the perception of those years and like, those are special years, nothing will ever, ever be like that ever again. And so we can't ever compare anything to those years ever. 2019 is the only what we should compare now the back half of 2022 against because those years are just nuts. Like that's that's like your growth spurt. That's like housing went through puberty and now we're adults now. And so we can't compare when you went from four foot 11 to six, two, you're not going to keep growing like that. Like now you're six, two, you're mature, whatever, whatever height you're is, you are. Is that like a better? My analogy is probably terrible, but is a perspective. That's what we should be thinking about. Not think about like risk and cash flow and things like that. Well, but just as far as like the sales and the marketing, like it's not. It's just now we're like 2019 right now a little bit. I'm I think it's important so to look at it from both ways. Um, okay. And the reason it's still important to remember and look at what happened in 2021 and 2020 is because that is the recency bias that the rest of your organization, especially the more emotional, mm -hmm. more um, reactionary or parts of your organization, mm, like sales, um, it does, they're like, I mean, heck, if you give a look at a given sales organization, 30, 40% of those people might not have been working for your builder in 2019. So you're like, well, yeah. compared to 2019, uh, we're doing great. And meanwhile, they're thinking in comparison to two months ago, I'm going insane because no one's walking through my door. And so you can't be out of touch and just say that, that that's not relevant because that's the, that's what people have been living through. Yeah. However, in terms of um, understanding strategically what you need to do and, and how you need to do it, it's probably best. And, and anytime there's a correction or a change in the stock market, um, I got to listen to some speakers talk about that. The hardest thing for professional stock investors to do is to mentally accept that a, a true change in the market has happened. You tend to hold on longer to well, but stocks keep going up. So when the, when they go down, I should buy some is because they just keep going up. It's like there are fundamental shifts in the market where you, the quicker you can just say, it doesn't matter what happened 30 days ago. I need to look at what's happening right now. The better off you'll be. And, and, and so in this sense. instance, I think the better you can be say, yes, th there are certain systems and processes that need to be rethought now and thought about more in comparison to a 2018, 2019 world probably does make sense, but we can't, we can't ignore them or, or just not look at them. Um, uh, Sarah, yeah. you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I agree. Looking at both. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. It is going to get, again, this matter of perspective, I think more fun. Some people would say harder. <laughs> um, it, it's, I mean, again, a lot of people that I hung out with at this conference, they're like, housing is about to crash, right? It's like, no, it's not about to crash. General real estate and home building is different. General real estate, not going to crash. Certain markets will struggle. Markets that have had 40% appreciation every year for the last two years, those, those markets are going to struggle. But nationally, we're not going to have a crash. Home builders, on the other hand, might hit the pause button voluntarily. Um, one of the presentations was from the CEO of Divi Homes, founder and CEO of Divi Homes, a uh, great organization. If you're interested, go check it out. What they do is they buy the house that you want to own, uh, but can't afford yet or don't have enough money for a down payment. They buy it with their cash. Then you rent it from them while you live in it for up to three years. 
and the rental payments that you send in include money towards your your future down payment. So you can essentially save six to ten percent towards a down payment by just paying your rent, uh, just like some of your payment on a mortgage goes to your principal. Uh, similar idea, which most time none of your rent payment goes towards any principal or savings at all, right? It just gets torched. That's right. Um, Pretty cool. But she showed this chart that that kind of put in perspective that the average home, uh, according to this chart, and I can't verify, um, it was one hundred and eighty-seven thousand dollars at um, at the bottom or near the bottom of the housing market in like oh oh late oh eight oh nine. She's like, so one hundred eighty-seven, and a builder looks at it and says, "There's no way I can build a home for less than two hundred and fifteen." And that doesn't even really make very much profit. So I'm just not going to build a home unless someone's willing to pay me 250. But if there's a whole bunch of homes on the market at 187, guess what happens? Not, not as many homes get built. General and new construction will be in two different worlds, but the playbook just shifts in a down market to stealing market share from your competitors. And that's why I say it's fun. Um, again, it's not personal. I don't, but, but every time I ever worked for a home building organization, there was, by definition, another brand, again, not people. I don't want to put those people out of business or make them lose their homes or anything bad happen to them. But that other brand, I was going to take your market share. <laughs> that was going to happen. That was the take goal. Take it. And we did. And we won. And that, that's, that, that is the fun part is um, it just provides some clarity in a down market of what you're doing and how you're, why you're doing it and being able to see those results. Love it. Okay. For published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere else we are online. We'll see you next week. See ya. Bye.